Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Blog Talk Radio. This is our common ground, alternative activist empowerment talk radio, speaking truth to power and ourselves. Who are you? You don't know. Don't tell me Negro, that's nothing. What were you before the white man named you a Negro? And where were you? And what did you have? What was yours? What language did you speak then? It's just about what we didn't do. Amen. Then it speaks to us and the possibility for us as a future person. Because ultimately, our people's future resides on what we do outside of the White House. African descent fairly, America failed. She put them in chains. The government put them on slave quarters, put them on action block, auction blocks, put them in cotton fields, put them in inferior schools, put them in substandard housing, put them in scientific experience, experiments, put them in the lowest paying jobs, put them outside the equal protection of the law, kept them out of their racist bastions of higher education, and locked them into positions of hopelessness and helplessness. The government gives them the drugs, builds bigger prisons, passes a three-strike law, and then wants us to sing God Bless America? No, no, no. Not God Bless America. God... Our Common Ground with Janice Graham. Our Common Ground, speaking truth to power and ourselves. Our Common Ground, a higher ground for discourse, discussion, solutions, and ideas. I'm Janice Graham, and I'll be listening for you. Talk, talk, that matters. Transforming truth truth to power. One broadcast at a time. And now to Our Common Ground with Janice Graham. Well, I guess that's not working too well. Divided soul. Here we go. It's Chuck D and Mavis Staples. At our common ground. Thanks for being with us tonight. We gotta love ourselves. Don't. Give me some pride, Lord. Make me feel proud of myself. Let me walk with my head up high. Let me know that I'm 
it resonates with the Our Common Ground family. And that's why I wanted to leave with it tonight. Give we some pride. Chuck D and Mavis Staples. And if you want to pick it up, it's brand new. It just came up. Just the DJ, the band, the man, yes, black yes. is the man. It's Chuck D. and Mavis Staples, and thank you so much for being with us here tonight. If you'd like to join us in our chat room, you can come to blogtalkradio.com backslash OCG. That's our address in our live studio is blogtalkradio.com backslash OCG, and we will welcome you here at Our Common Ground, where black truth takes voice. Tonight at Our Common Ground, we're going to be talking about a number of things. In our first hour, we're going to be talking about the poor door, behind the poor door, New York City's housing stop and frisk policy. And in the second hour, we're going to be looking at and celebrating the what would have been the 90th birthday of James Baldwin. We're going to be looking at the new James Brown biopic, Get On Up. And we're going to be revisiting Eric Gardner's death, which was ruled by the medical examiner this week as a homicide. And of course, looking at genocide in the Mideast as Israel continues to destroy and cleanse the Gaza. There is a controversial plan, and we all know that all controversy is not necessarily false. So we're going to get right into our program. We thank Alpho and Brother Brock and Nat Gill, Chris, uh, who's in our chat room, and they want you to join them right here. If you'd like to continue uh, to listen on your smart device, you can use the OCG app, which is available on our website for you to download onto your smart device or your uh, cell phone. Or you can call 347-838-9852. That is our Call in number for you to join us here at Our Common Ground. Last week, um, we did uh, take a look, and we didn't get a chance to um, we didn't get a chance to um, uh, to uh, really talk about it, and it's worth talking about because there is a new kind of Jim Crow that is uh, going to be that is it, it's it, it's almost like it's sizzling into the landscape of how we do uh, in this country, uh, and I am going to review again one more uh, about this um, this poor door. Here's Tamron Hall, and we thank her very much for her report and her coverage of this area before we get started. 
Our boards are loading up, so if you want to get in on the discussion of the poor door, um, it is a controversial plan to have the lower income residents of a New York City luxury condo use an exit and entrance through a separate entrance, and it has officially been given the green door, green light, by the um, City of New York. A proposal from the New York-based developer Extel was approved under a city program meant to incentivize affordable housing. Um, New York's Department of Housing Preservation and Development was reported as a city agency and is the city agency that gave the goal ahead. This is a 33-story building now under construction at 40 Riverside Boulevard on the Upper West Side. It will contain 219 luxury units facing the Hudson River. There will also be a segment on floors 2 through 6 that will contain 55 street-facing units for the building's poor residents or the low-income residents of the building. And this segment of the tenants will have its own res uh, entrance. The more affordable units will be given to families of four whose annual income is $51,540 or less. About 60% of the area's medium income. Residents living in the lower income section of 40 Riverside will be prohibited from using the amenities commonly found in Excel properties, including a gym and a swimming pool. And I am here to tell you, and if you have been part of this program, you have, we have had many discussions about housing discrimination. All of this is adverse to certain groups of people. One, those who are have a certain source of income, and it will most likely, and we don't know because we don't know the demographics of the tenants, it will be most likely discrimination on the basis of race, on the basis of disability, and on the basis of age. Here's Chairman Hall with her report and discussion on this. We'll take your calls at 347-838-9852. Outrage over a new luxury condo in New York City after reports surfaced the developer is planning to have separate entrances for wealthy and low-income residents. According to the New York Post, the developer is seeking millions of dollars in tax breaks from the city in exchange for building 55 low-income units in the luxury tower. But the five floors of affordable housing being planned will face away from the waterfront, have a separate entrance separate elevator maintenance company. Big difference there. And New York State Assemblywoman Linda Rosenthal, who represents the area where the building will go up, calls the plan a, quote, blatant attempt to segregate people. And as you can see, she's here with us now. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you. Um, we reached out to the developer of this building. We did not hear back. But, mm -hmm. but as you pointed out, at least in your assessment, this is a blatant attempt to segregate people. What did this developer say to the city, or how did they explain this? Well, they've uh, submitted an application uh, for permission to do this, and they also intend to apply for 421A tax credits and to get massive air rights for doing this.
this inclusionary housing. But in terms of explaining it, they, they call it off-site housing, which would then explain the separate entrance. However, it's on the same site. It's actually attached to the luxury, wealthy condo building. When you first heard this, I mean, first of all, for people who don't live in the New York area, uh -huh. what is considered a low-income unit, a studio or one bedroom, uh -huh. is $900 right. a month. Right. Uh, which, right. if I'm from a Texas, that could get you a, a nice oh, house in a suburb in the works. Yes. But nevertheless, in New York, a one-bedroom low income is considered $900 right. a month. What right. did you think when you... Well, my immediate reaction was, this is reprehensible. Why would they do this? What is the need to segregate low-income working-class people from the wealthy? And there is no need in my mind. But I mean, obviously, when people hear this, they would believe then that, that somehow these people, this luxury developer, believes that if you are quote unquote um, poor or you can't afford to one of their $1.3 million apartments, then you need the backdoor treatment. Right, exactly. And that has no place in the 21st century, especially on the Upper West Side, which is a bastion of uh, progressivism and always has been. Have you heard from people in your area, your district? That yes, I've, I've heard from many of my constituents who, who agree with me. And they think it's horrible, and they think the developer should revise his plans and integrate the low-income units with the other units, which actually has been done throughout the city. If the developer does not do that, then mm -hmm. does the company still get the tax break? Are they able to go forward with this plan? Is there anything mm -hmm. to prevent them from having what we well, said was a separate and not equal treatment? Right. Well, the city gets to decide whether they meet all the regulations and then they can turn them down. So what do you believe will happen here? Well, I think that because there's been a public outcry, uh, the developer will probably come to the table and hopefully I expect to speak with him and try to convince him why it's not a good idea in the 21st century to have separate but unequal entrances and buildings for the poor and the wealthy. Put it in a very pleasant way, try to convince him or show him that this is... Yes. Well, it's, it's reprehensible and there's no need for it. Thank you so much for your time. We'll see what the next Thank stage you. brings in this one. Thank you. And coming up, the unintended... Can you not hear me? Okay. I don't know where we started or where we began, but here's the question. What is the difference between the segregation of Jim Crow? What is the difference between the segregation of Jim Crow at water fountains, in changing rooms, in department stores, at lunch counters in, um, in downtown parts of the south and even in the north. What is the difference? I guess I'm going to need somebody to call me and tell me where I left off because uh, I'm hearing. It wasn't Blog Talk Radio. <laughs> India's always ready to, to boot up <laughs> Blog Talk Radio. It actually was me. <laughs> that damn mute button every time. So here's the deal, folks. It's the 80-20 program of the U.S. Department of Housing and Urban Development. 
and the city of New York, um, which has come together to provide funding, tax breaks, a lower mortgage rate for this building. And after 15 years, the owner-developer of the building can opt out of the program and rent out the low-income 20% apartments at market rate. But do not be fooled. The people who are in the government-financed housing units in this building, they may pay $800 a month for rent or $600 a month for rent. But the government will pay the difference between what they pay according to a formula and what the the medium the fair market value of that unit is. We've got a call from 773. You're on the air. I respect you. Thank you very much. I um, hit the mute button. Hey, Alpha. Janice, how are you feeling this evening? I screwed up. I don't know how long I I was talking like a mofo. I was talking up a storm. Well, uh, I have Did you hit a part? Wait a minute. I just want to test it with you. Did you hit a part where I was talking about whether or not you studied any black history, whether or not you read any black research books, whether or not... Uh, you research any current events or encourage your children. We didn't hear that part. We didn't hear yeah, that. Yeah. I'll go back over it. again. What's up, Alpha? <laughs> we didn't hear none of that. We didn't hear none of that. I knew what was going on. I just didn't want to say nothing. <laughs> <laughs> you don't want to call me out, huh? I didn't want to call you out. I, I see it well. We'll we'll get there, Janice. We you speak about the uh, the uh, corridor and that entire scenario. And here's what's happened: we have millionaires and billionaires who have paid their way through some. Minor, I'll call it a a minor clawback, and I call it a clawback because what they did was they sold it as we're going to offer low income housing along with the regular housing. It's just that we're going to allow the government to pay the. You got millionaires and billionaires, whoever's involved in the ownership of this property. A, they're, re- they're receiving millions in tax subsidies. B, they're sucking off the government team. Absolutely. And they're feeding at the government taxpayer trough. The trough of money. And just the mere fact that you have them speaking about in 15 years, they'll be able to opt out. You don't think they're going to opt out of this? And let's get absolutely out. One of the main reasons where there is such a drought 
on affordable housing today is because so many developers who took government money to build multifamily housing across this nation, after 15 years they opted out and so the affordable housing disappeared and we can't keep up. Well, we're not going to keep up. That's by design. You get, you get these, these, these money groups who, this is like, well, we'll, 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 build, we'll offer to build it because we're going to also offer poor housing. But in 15 years, we don't have that to worry about. And That's see, right. 15, 15 years for people who are uninformed are simply looking the other way. Has absolutely is nothing. Is nothing. All they know is they're getting a, a, a nice apartment, and the government gonna pay half of it. And that's not to say that these people aren't ambitious enough to go out and do better. I am simply saying this is nothing more than another clean-cut example of the rich feeding off taxpayer dollars, just like they do with charter schools, just like they do with war profiteering. Just like but what makes it worse? Corporate. What makes it worse in this case, Alpha, is this: of the units where the the upper level people are going to live, they are selling those units. This, I mean, this 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 whole thing is um, off the top of my head. I can't remember. But there are only 55 apartments that are affordable. All the other apartments of the 267 apartments, they are selling those for $2,000 a square foot. So the developer is getting their money right off the top, right off the top. And he's going to continue to get it. Three and four. Absolutely. The, the selling of, let's see, 55, 267, that is uh, somewhere around 80% at best. So 80% he'll get to sell. He's going to make a huge profit. Yeah, it's 20, it's 2080. This is the, this is the U.S. Department of Housing's 2080, 80-20 program. Except for, in most cases, all of the housing is rental housing. These apartments, this developer is erecting a structure with $3 million apartments. Do you hear me? Yeah. No, no, it's not. I'm not not at all about the uh, deal that was struck about how they're about to simply take the government to the cleaners. This is, a, this is just another one of these stories where the millionaires and billionaires are able to game the government. Government is bad, government is bad, government is bad, until we want government money and taxpayer mm-hmm. dollars. Mm-hmm. And see, that's what this is all about. You spoke about uh, the difference between uh, the Jim Crow, we can't drink, we can't visit, we can't stay here, we can't eat here. Here's the difference. Between now and then, they've thrown yep. some crumbs. They've thrown See, us some crumbs. 
and that's about one, it. One of the things that people ask me, why am I always, how, how, how do I live with myself when I'm always pulling out my race card? I, let me give you an example. I, I want you all to hear this very carefully. When I was uh, in, the, in, the, in the 10th grade, I don't know what they call that. I guess they call that a sophomore. I was a sophomore in high school. I played instrument. I played three instruments in the marching band of my high school of 900 white children and me. When we went to the University of Florida homecoming, this was the first band trip I had gone on at this white school. Because, see, I was integrating. This is, I was a Brown versus Board of Education kid. We go to Gainesville, Florida. We march in the hot sun all day long in this long-ass parade. It's time to go to the hotel. Well, I don't go to the hotel because I can't sleep in a hotel because I'm black. So I have to live with my, my, my parents' friends in Gainesville while I'm there. But all my other band members, classmates, lived in, stayed in the hotel. Then we go to dinner, and we go to Morrison's Restaurant. I'll never forget the name of this place. And uh, the bandmaster, with damn near tears in his eyes, tells me I can't eat with the band. I can't go in the restaurant and eat at the table where all my classmates were eating. So... Lo and behold, the coffee man, the man who made coffee in the restaurant and served it to the people, was a black man. And he overheard us outside trying to figure out how the hell I was going to eat. I was ready to call my daddy and tell my daddy to come get me because I was hungry. But the coffee man, I'll never forget the coffee man. He was a black man in a tuxedo with a bow tie serving coffee with a a cloth over his arm as he served the coffee to the people in the restaurant. He said to me, baby, you come with me. Do you know where I ate? I guess I already told you this story, Alpha. I ate in the kitchen. They set me up, the black people in the kitchen, and the coffee man and the maitre d', even with the flowers on the table, in the kitchen. And I ate better than my classmates were eating, and they gave me stuff to take home. But that ain't the point. Exactly. Exactly. But the difference between then and now is it's nothing. Have, it's nothing. It's nothing. We have to, to believe that just because they allow us to eat with them, drink with them, dress with them, just because we are allowed to do this now, that something has changed. We have suddenly uh, gained ground in this never-ending war because that's all it is as they've taught their children, and and as the country has learned to simply discriminate in a different manner, in a different way. 
Because the thing, the thing is, when you think about it, you know, my childhood prepared me for all of this. As they say on Battlestar Galactica every day, this has happened before and it will happen again. Is that many of you out there remember when we couldn't go to a hotel? Many of you out there remember when we couldn't go to their restaurants or we couldn't be in their part of town without a pass. I lived in a town that you had that black entertainers and butlers and chauffeurs had to carry a pass if they were on the island of Palm Beach after dark. The caddies, the maids, the nannies. The wet nurses, they had to carry a pass. And, Alpha, I'm going to have to go to a break, but I, I hear you. And what this poor door does is takes us back to the day. It takes us back to that day. Right, Alpha? Well, Janice, let me put it like this. We don't have enough or we don't have as many people voicing their outrage because too many of them have been hoodwinked into believing that they've traveled such a, 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 a great journey to overcome the, 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 the history of this nation, the shameful history of this nation. And as we have white folks who are just chomping at the bit to say, everything has changed. I, I, I never owned a slave. I never did uh, discriminate against no one. What these people are so willing to ignore is white privilege, white inheritance, and the whole nine yards. We have come very, a very short way. Yes, they elected a black man president, but he's also half white. And he's literally literally been raised by white folks. So, you know, don't we shouldn't be that excited about what's going on. And look how they're treating him. And tell me that the bigoted racism that just drips from every state in this country is over. You have to shake your head at that. Thank you very much, Janet. Thank you, Alpho. Um, and I hope that everyone will understand that this is many, many steps back. And uh, I hope that you will call the White House, asking the White House to inform his new Secretary of the Department of Urban and De Housing Development, HUD, Housing and Urban Development, Julian Castor, Castro, who is the new secretary. He was, just, he was just sworn in last Monday, and he ought to be on, all, right on top of everything that we've been talking about tonight. For those of you who missed it, I was talking about earning your way to be, I have been thinking about it a lot, about the technology that I can be washing dishes and walk over here, pick up the phone, and talk to the world. 
and we want to ask you to email, uh, Facebook, chat, whatever, uh, your friends that we are here. We do an awful lot of work to give voice to the black truth of the event. And don't forget to support our TruthWorks network um, with the Alpha Show on Friday nights and Soul Emergence Radio on Tuesday, um, on Tuesday nights at 9 p.m. You special. Your mama's on no account food. You're listening to Our Common Ground. I'm Janice Grant. Thank you for your support of independent black media. I'll be listening for you. Join us each Saturday night here at Our Common Ground, speaking truth to power and ourselves. And stay with us because in the second hour here at Our Common Ground tonight, we're going to be paying tribute and looking at the new James Brown biopic, Celebrating the birthday, the 90th birthday of James Baldwin. Stay tuned. There is absolutely no evidence to support the statement that we're the greatest country in the world. We're 7th in literacy, 27th in math, 22nd in science, 49th in life expectancy, 178th in infant mortality, 3rd in median household income, number 4 in labor force, and number 4 in exports. We lead the world in only three categories. Number of incarcerated citizens per capita, number of adults who believe angels are real, and defense spending. When you ask what makes us the greatest country in the world, I don't know what the fuck you're talking about. What we see before our eyes, the sky is green and the grass is blue. But one thing you can't deny, these people are sabotaging this economy. And these people are sabotaging this country. On TruthWorks Network, the best of political pushback. Go for it, Alpha. The Alpha Show. India Declare. Real, raw, and right now. It's the I Declare Show with India Declare. 11 a.m. Friday and Saturday. End your week and start your weekend with Real, Raw, and Right Now. 11 a.m. Blog Talk Radio. I declare it. In a cold sweat. Now. 
join us tonight in this conversation at 347-838-9852, live OCG Studios, to join us in Talk That Matters, 347-838-9852, toll free from wherever you are. We want to hear from you. Put it on him! us here at Our Common Ground, where truth matters and talk that matters. Thank you for being with us. Here in the second hour, we'll still take your calls at 347-838-9852 regarding the poor door and the return to, you know, here's the problem. The problem really is that this seems to be okay And as we adopt the kind of policies that Extel and the city of New York seems to be able to adopt, we are redefining what has been the established prohibitions in housing discrimination. First of all, New York State has a law which prohibits discrimination in housing and housing opportunity on the basis of source of income. What does that mean? It it means that you can't discriminate and not offer one set of people the same amenities and housing benefits that you offer another set of people because they're on Section 8. That's what it means. And what we are doing is we are, this is a slow process, and they think they're doing it in secret, in changing the housing discrimination laws in this country. That's what it is. We're going to move along, but we'll take your calls on this subject. We've got a lot of things. I, I do want to talk about Eric Gardner. Um, Um, the Choco death murder of um, Eric Gardner in uh, New York. Everything seems to be happening in New York. Uh, And I do want to go back to some of my thoughts that I've had about how you earn the right to be a worthy ancestor after you leave this plane. India Declare on her program this morning at 11 o'clock on the India Declare Saturday morning brunch was talking about and giving us information about how children learn. And we need to know that. We need to understand that we can't start talking to our children when they're, 40, when they're 15. We have to, everything, India had, had some interesting information. She said that in her research she had found that children, and I, I, I already knew this, but it's just so important for people to understand, especially in our community, when 
mothers and fathers are sitting on cell phones and sitting in front of TVs and 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 playing games on the on the the smart device and ignoring children. Every almost ninety percent of everything that is learned by a child, or the way in which a child organizes organizes his or her brain. See, this is why you ought to listen to India Declare Show on Friday and Saturday mornings at 11 o'clock. Everything, how they organize and configure their brains happens by the time they're three years old. Three years old. That's right. I've got a little two-year-old running around. And language acquisition Mathematical understanding, how many, I mean, I, I keep a huge bag of M&Ms. What color do you want and how many do you want? And let's count them out. That's learning for a, a toddler. That's learning for a toddler. So we, we, we have got to get serious about our children. We've got to get serious about the legacy that we want to leave. You know, uh, I've had, I, I've, I, when I was on mute, I was talking about, I started thinking about this a lot since, at my, since my mother's death. And now since recently, since my ex-husband's death, what do we do every, I wake up every day trying to figure out what must I do to be a worthy ancestor? Because, you see, you leave your ancestry in different places. You really do. But <clears throat> this week, uh, the medical examiner, this is moving right along, uh, the medical examiner in New York State um, indicated, certified, reported and filed that Eric Garner's death was a homicide. He was, we talked about this last week, but here's a man who, as a result of a chokehold, an illegal chokehold, an illegal arrest techniques, died in New York City, and he was buried this week by his family, a wife, and children. Here's a report from that funeral. Hundreds packed a Brooklyn church on Wednesday for the funeral of Eric Garner. Mourners demanded justice for the New York City man who died while resisting arrest as officers put him in a banned chokehold. As family and friends fanned themselves against the heat, the Reverend Al Sharpton railed at police. You put him in a chokehold. The chokehold is illegal. But even if you lost your training memory, a man in your arms saying, I can't breathe. When does your decency kick in? When does your morality kick in? Police were arresting Gardner last week on suspicion of selling out-of-state cigarettes on the street. His death prompting outrage after video recordings of his arrest went viral. 
And there you have it. A man is dead again because of a police officer's actions. And you can't tell me in looking at that video of that arrest that this police officer was full of hate and disdain. And we can't go back 25 years later in the name of of uh, Eric Garner. We've got to stay in today. And there are activists all over New York who are calling for action to stop police brutality, stop the police official hatred of poor and people of color. This is Travis Morales at the funeral of Eric Garner. We've all seen, you've seen, the whole world sees NYPD cop Pantaleo choke Eric Garner to death. Before the cop chokes Eric, you hear him say, every time you see me, you want to mess with me. I'm tired of this. And then you hear Eric's last word, I can't breathe, I can't breathe. Then you see the cop not do a damn thing to save his life. Maybe it wasn't a rope hanging from a tree like back in the day, but this was still a lynching, NYPD style. At Rikers Island, they bake a man to death in his 100-degree plus cell. In a Florida prison, the guards burn a mentally ill man to death in a scalding shower, his skin peeling off. They beat us, they shoot us, they choke us. This must stop. We do not have to accept them killing us. We do not have to suffer in silence. But we must come together to say no more. And we must act with determined resistance in the streets, in our schools, in our neighborhoods, in our churches, everywhere. You hear, you hear Eric say, this stops today. We must make this real. The days when they can kill us and laugh about it like we are animals must end. You are needed to make this stop. Do not let them get away with murdering Eric. Bring your friends, co-workers, classmates, members of your congregation, and neighbors together. Make plans to show your outrage. Take to the streets. Shout from the rooftop. Carry your signs. Blow your whistles. Beat your drums. Justice for Eric Garner. As we fight for justice for Eric, join with people all across the country in the movement to stop these wars. Get down with the October month of resistance to mass incarceration, police terror, repression, and the criminalization of a generation. Go to stopmassincarceration.net. That's stopmassincarceration.net. Justice for Eric Garner. Stop the police lynching of our people. This bus stop. And that was activists. Um, Morales in um, Brooklyn at the funeral of Eric Garner. My question is this, now that the medical examiner has deemed this a homicide, how many of you out there think that this police officer and his colleagues and the medical emergency team that did nothing as this man said, 
And as we uh, uh, reported last week, I can't breathe. I can't breathe. I don't know about you, but every time I hear, it resonates in my head, a black man lying on the sidewalk after minding his own business with the police but stopping a fight, which is why the police were there in the first place, and he's saying, I can't breathe, and they're pulling the chokehold tighter. Business. The fight break out stopped. Yes. So you can put them on me? That's all right. I'm the people that fight is and walk away? Are you serious? I didn't do nothing. What did I do? I didn't sell anything. I did nothing. We sit here the whole time. I'm not business. What are you talking about? Who got you to do that? Who got you to sell a cigarette to? To whom? Not that rich. You know that? You pay your hard way for what? Every time you see me, you're the best with me. I'm tired of it. It's time to You got right here, it's forcibly trying to lock somebody up for breaking up a fight. Everybody standing here, they told you I didn't do nothing. I did not sell nothing. Because every time you see me, you want to harass me, you want to stop me, you want to sell cigarettes. I'm minding my business, officer. I'm minding my business. Please just leave me alone. I told you the last time. Please leave me alone. Hold on, hold once again, police beating up on people. Back up right here. Back up and get on that step. Okay, back up. All he did was break up a fight. And that was at the time that Eric Garner died at the hands of New York City police pleading, I can't breathe. You're listening to Our Common Ground, and I am Janice Graham. Uh, When I hear that, I can't breathe. How much more? How much more? Our number is 347-838-9852. If you'd like to join this conversation, the poor door, Eric Garner, your place and your positioning to be an honored ancestor. What are you doing? What are we doing about how our children learn? What are you doing regarding researching the current events? I mean, you just can't hear some news reporter saying something and all you know is what that person said. And how are you connecting these dots? This is why it is so important for us to do the study. I was talking about this when I was on mute, to to be able to connect how a poor door, housing discrimination, 
connects to the death of Grant and Eric Garner and Sean Bell and the torture in a New York City Police Department restroom. I can't breathe. I can't breathe. I can't breathe. We're going to go to our phones, and if you'd like to join us, 347-838-9852. This is, I am Janice Graham, and this is our Common Ground. 610, you're on the air. Thank you for joining us. I respect you. Uh, Yes, hello, Hotep, and you know I respect you too, uh, Sister Janice and the Blanc Talk family. Thank you for your call, Brother Brock from Philadelphia, PA. Yes, indeed, Philadelphia, right here in the house. Um, Reluctantly, I would have to go to the far end of the pendulum with this comment uh, concerning the uh, discriminatory and racist police department as a whole. Uh, Do I want to generalize that bad? Under these circumstances, they leave me no choice. Uh, the, The amount of black people who get brutalized by the police compared to white people is probably 90% as a, and and the, and people of color and black people only take up roughly 14% of America so i have i have every right to say that and for anyone to try to challenge that number then prove me wrong show me where Nine out of ten white people get brutalized by police. I've seen YouTube videos of white people fighting police officers and living to tell about it. And I've seen YouTube videos of black people surrendering on the ground and never getting off the ground because they were found dead by these same police. And and to make matters worse, there's no justice in the in the in the um court system after this all takes place. Because these courts they they want to make sure that the law enforcement uh has the upper hand and that uh, anarchy does not run rampant in the community. So at all costs the courts are prepared to find the police not guilty. And as Alpha has said numerous times over, who are you going to believe, uh, the, the video or your lying eyes? And we can all go back some 15 years to Rodney King when he was, you know, obviously Rodney King did a lot of bad things during that police chase. But after he was surrounded by those police, in L.A., he was literally surrendering and spread eagle on the ground when all those various police officers, including women, pulled out their batons, Absolutely. nice gloves, and just commenced him, whipping him for 20-some-odd minutes. Yep. So, so you know... I'm, although I'm not racist, I would hate for a white person to attempt to try to tell me I'm wrong on this issue. Do black people do things that are wrong? Yes. 
Does it require police to go the distance that they do? No. And to use this most ex- uh, uh, recent example, the, the clip that you just played uh, concerning um, the, 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 the brother, even if he was selling cigarettes, even if he was, let somebody prove to us why that deserves That's right. a a chokehold, to to, yep. to to die. So mm-hmm. so so when white people want to come back with these bogus ass excuses, they need to go to hell with those excuses because those excuses mean are nothing but racist cover-ups for the atrocity that's thrown in front of our face every freaking day. It's a nightmare trying to uh, get through the minutia on a daily basis. If you're a person of color, knowing Absolutely. that any, any minute of any day, if you're pulled to the side by a police officer, the worst could happen. I, yeah. I, you know, you just asked, you just said, how do you feel when you see this video, hear this audio? I, I, I personally didn't think I could feel any worse a couple years ago when you hit this to Oscar Grant. Uh, the, the um, uh, I don't know, was Oscar Grant the one that was in the subway, the uh, the BART yes. yes. Transit? Yeah, mm-hmm. I, you know, I, I thought that took the cake. But before then, I thought Amadou Diallo took the cake. And before then, I thought, you know, a whole host of them took the cake. So every freaking year, we're, 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 we're brought back to the outrageous, and then somebody yep. tells me, "Oh, don't, don't. It's not that bad. Ninety, you know, the majority of all mm-hmm. the police officers get only a small percentage of them are bad. You know, don't fuck yourself with that nonsense. Cause that's bullshit. There's mm-hmm. so many race bigoted ass police officers out here that that it, 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 you know, it's no way I could be a politician right now because the first thing they would say is, "Oh, let's look at what." This what Brother Brock has said in the past, and, and I would never get the Fraternal Order of Police to endorse me politically. Therefore, if you can't get endorsed politically, you can't be a politician. You can't win elections. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. so so all these mayors, our mayor just got finished giving our police force two thumbs up on everything over here in Philadelphia. Just well, let me ma- of- let me let me try to make you a little little even matter. Okay. Go ahead. The president of the New York City Police Department Police Union, Patrick Minch, and I quote, he said, and I quote, had not had not Garner resisted the lawful order of the police officers placing him under arrest, this tragedy would not have occurred. My, my, my. You know, they, they, all, all these mayors cover up for all these, and, and, and you know, that, well, that you know, I, I, I applaud uh, Reverend Sharpton this week at a panel, at a yeah. meeting or whatever they would press conference, said to Mayor De Blasio, and I know Bill De Blasio. I worked with Bill De Blasio for a number of years. 
he tries to be a good guy. He really does try to be a good guy. But the thing is, if you want to be a good guy, go work in a nonprofit because you can't be the mayor and have 35,000 police officers up your neck and be a good guy. But anyway, Reverend, Reverend Sharpton said to de Blasio this week about his black son, if it were not, if your son were not your son, he could be an Eric Garner. I have to d- disagree with uh, Reverend Sharpton because despite the fact that that child is Bill de Blasio's son, he can still be caught on the streets of New York under a chokehold and be killed because he is black with this big-ass afro, and he looks like any other urban boy in America. True that. True, true, true. You know, I, I, I think that we have got to understand that black lives don't matter by law and by court and by prison. And somehow we've got to figure out a way to turn that around. Brother Brock, I appreciate your comments, and I appreciate, you know, brother, I want you to know, I want all you brothers to know that there's big love, mad love for you because you are so at risk. We are all at risk, but you are at a special risk level in this country. And because last we... Talked, uh, Go ahead. Uh, the police, they're not going to change. You know, they're not. I, I, I went through constable training as a constable, and it's very similar to uh, state police training. Several officers were in the same class as I was in. And, you know, you go through the book training, and it's, it's, it's blase, blase. People are, you know, damn, we got to take these tests. we got to study for this. The minute we go into hands-on training, the minute they go into gun, uh, uh, rifle, rifle, rifle range, uh, uh, sh- shooting the, you know, they, they 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 get a natural high off of that. They just, you know, mm-hmm. it's it's like they just they they gung ho. They're just ready right. to learn. The, it the, the, feeds the and affirms their privilege. Yeah, so you know, and until until these cities, uh, once. You know these um, civil service civil suits go through. The taxpayers pay that money, so the police departments feel no pain when a lawsuit comes down the pike. That's why they're not going to change. So until uh-huh. money comes out of their pocket, that's out of their pension we'll funds. That's right. Okay. Thank you, brother Brock. Up. You 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 know, and you have my. Do you want to be on mute? Yes. Yes. Okay. Thank you very much for joining us tonight and for your very uh, sincere and on-point comments, as you always provide. But you see, the thing is that you can use public policy to fix some of this public policy stuff. Brother Brock brought up a very important point. Somehow, we've got to get some elected officials to understand that we're unwilling to pay for our own deaths. 
were unwilling to pay for our children being mangled in the street by law enforcement. So here's a public policy solution that we just came up with on our common ground. And God damn it, y'all don't call the pe- people at Sirius Radio on Monday morning and tell them the solution that we came up with on our common ground because they don't give us any play. But I am going to tell you that here is a solution. The solution, is, and we are solution-driven, is to begin to talk at the local level that when a police officer is found in violation of police department rules and there is an injury to a citizen or a death as a result of a citizen, it should come out of their retirement plan. You know, the police officers have this huge retirement plan. That's why, that's why they love the job. That's why they'll do anything to stay on the job, lie, steal, whatever, because they got a retirement plan. So uh, it has to come out. If they don't have enough money in their retirement plan, then you you make some other arrangements. But when there is a settlement, it should come out of their retirement plans. We're going to take a break, and when we come back, we're going to talk about the continuing ethnic cleansing on the Gaza. And then we're going to talk about get on up. We'll be right back. Uh, put your bad stuff. We're tired of beating our head against the wall and working with someone else. Bad now. Listening to Our Common Ground, speaking truth to power and ourselves. We know what to do with radio. This is talk that matters. You stay with us and support black media by telling a friend that this is Our Common Ground. We invite you to join Peter E. Matthews on Soul Emergence, Tuesday nights, 9 p.m., Soul Emergence at TruthWorks Network. Where reconciliation is the tool of revolution. Soul Emergence with Peter E. Matthews, only on TruthWorks Network, the Black Voice Collaborative. Network, the Alpha Show. 
listening to Our Common Ground with Janice Graham, transforming truth to power, one broadcast at a time. Transforming truth to power, one broadcast at a time. And now, back to Janice. about us uh, here at Our Common Ground. We're here every Saturday night. And if you'd like to join us in our discussion, you simply can call us at 347-838-9852. In the first hour, we talked about the poor door in New York City and the new stop and frisk in housing in New York City. And uh, we were talking about the death of the murder of Eric Garner and wondering whether or not there will be any prosecution in that case, uh, simply because the medical examiner has concluded that it was homicide does not necessarily mean that there will be charges and that there will be a prosecution and there will be a guilty verdict of murder. It would probably be manslaughter and not first-degree murder, but we'll keep watching it. Uh, In other news, um, Israel is reporting that most of uh, militant attacks are on the tunnels and that they are destroyed and that there is some tank withdrawal in northern Gaza and evacuees are told to return that Israel shuns Cairo truce talks while Palestinians go at least 1,675 Gazans are killed 67 dead on Israel's side and it is now August 3rd Sunday in Israel and Israel on today declared dead a soldier feared abducted by Hamas Islamic militants in the Gaza Strip and said it would continue to fight even after the army completes destroying cross-border tunnels used by Palestinian fighters to attack these territories. For those of you who do not know, uh, you should be aware that those tunnels are used for transporting goods into what is essentially a prison. Gaza is essentially a prison camp set up by a wall all around it by Israel. Uh, Israeli television showed live footage of some tanks withdrawing from Gaza uh, in the winding down of the 26-day campaign, and Netanyahu said Hamas would play an intolerable price if it continued to attack Israel. Now, what caught my attention this week in all of this news is what our president had to say about it. So, as always, I 
rely upon Dr. Vijay Prashad, who is an Our Common Ground voice. He is an international affairs professor at Trinity College in Hartford, Connecticut. And this is what he had to say uh, in response to our president defending these attacks. It was very troubling to hear our president only responding in regard to a country being able to defend itself against attacks, inferring at some point erroneously that Hamas were aggressive and on the offense against Israel. The other is that he does not recognize the kind of offensive that he supports in other parts of the world. Here is Dr. Vijay Prashad. He's the author of Darker Nations. You can imagine how much people laugh, you know, in the planet, the part of the planet that I call drone land, which includes Somalia, Yemen, Afghanistan, Pakistan, and, you know, then the inflation, uh, including now in Gaza, where drones are being used to let loose bombs. Uh, people must have heard that statement where President Obama said no country can tolerate having, um, you know, missiles rain down on its citizens without fighting back. Well, by that standard, uh, the Palestinian resistance is also not tolerating having missiles fired down on it. Of course, the sad thing about this, the very, I think, tragic part where it's not funny, is that having made this kind of statement, the United States, uh, you know, has been blocking every attempt in the United Nations to have a serious consideration not only of the use of drones, but of, uh, you know, the invasion of different countries or of occupied territories by its client states. Just as Israel began its recent incursions on the occupied territory of Gaza uh, by aerial bombardment and threatening uh, ground invasion, just as that was happening, a U.S.-backed client state of Rwanda pushed its uh, rebel force, the M23 movement, into the Democratic Republic of the Congo, where they were at the border of the major town in North Kivu district and then have now taken that town. The town is Goma. So in both Goma and Gaza, the, the United States client states, in one case Rwanda, the other case Israel, were acting against every single possible uh, you know, uh, 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 barrier placed by international law and by the United Nations. But in both the cases, when the issue was raised at the United Nations Security Council, in the case of the stateless Palestinians, the case was brought forward by the Moroccans. In the case of the Democratic Republic of the Congo, the DRC raised the issue, and then the French, as one of the permanent members, put forward a resolution. In both cases, the United States didn't allow the UN Security Council to censure its client states. What we're beginning to see unfold is a special kind of Obama doctrine, if you will, where there is the use of drones and other kinds of aerial bombardment against those who, in a sense, are said to deserve uh, to be punished. Uh, 
you know, the language coming out of Israel is quite astounding, where there's talk of how Gaza should be removed to the Middle Ages, where there's talk of punishing Gaza for voting for Hamas. And that was Dr. Vijay Prashad. Our number is 347-838-9852 as Israel begins its, uh, began its air and naval offensive against Gaza on July 8th. I talked with Dr. Prashad uh, from Syria today. Um, shelling exchanges continued. Uh, today, Saturday, pushing the Gaza death toll given by Palestinian officials to 1,675, most of them civilians. Israel has confirmed that 64 soldiers have died in combat. More than 30 tunnels and dozens of access shafts have been unearthed and are being blown up. Netanyahu said in a televised speech on Saturday, on this evening, that military action would continue after that goal was achieved. We have to pray because the world is on fire. The world is on fire. And we have a situation where I believe our president is on the wrong side of history. Our number, 347-838-9852. I can't talk enough about the number of deaths and children and women and young people, the future of the Palestinian people is at risk. This is ethnic cleansing. This is taking back land that the people or the government or the state of Israel believes is rightfully theirs, and it has been a question for over hundreds of years. But keep in mind that the Arabs, Christian Bible, the Arabs, were on the Gaza Strip in Palestine long before the establishment of the state of Israel. If you'd like to comment about it, 347-838-9852. That is our number. How many of you have seen the new movie, Get On Up? Here's a preview. You special. Your mama's a no-account fool. Daddy too. But you ain't gonna be. One day, everybody gonna know your name. James, man. So you wanna be a singer? Oh, no, sir. What I really wanna be? Can't. You got a problem? You do music? The only thing keep me sane in here. Showstopper. It's a miracle. Really? Maybe me and you could uh, work on a little harmony together. Sarah, get down here. She coming, Mama. She coming. Look at these people, James. When is it gonna be when we up there? We'll be back in ten. Right now. What? One, two, three, four.
can't play that like you told us. Doesn't work musically. Doesn't sound good. Yeah. Get up, feel good. Yeah. Get up, if it sounds good and it feels good, then it's musical. You're entering a game here where the rules are already set out. I'm just a street kid from Augusta, Georgia. Now, tell me what you see. President, I want to go to Vietnam. We got to bring a super heavy bump to the cats over here. Are they shooting at us? This is what the kill James Brown today. You want to go down and hit you as a man and kill the fuck? There's a woman here. She say she your mama. My baby playing at the Apollo. I ain't your baby. Not dead, not now. I feel good. I look after James Brown. No one else helped me. No one else. Play at that stage, you people better be ready. Especially the white phone. Hit it! Wow. Every man is a damn old taller because they were James Brown. Are we done, Mr. Bird? I'm afraid not, Mr. Brown. I say, are we done? I think we got more funk in the trunk. <laughs> I don't know how many of you who have planned to go see Get On Up, the film biopic of James Brown. There is no bigger fan of James Brown than me. I can remember from the time I was in junior high school until the time I graduated from college that James Brown was the Friday me. James Brown was the Saturday me. I mean, when I was in college, every Friday night when we hit the party, it was a new James Brown, bad, funky hit that had hit the airwaves. And we had, of course, both, everybody in my house is a big James Brown fan. And we had planned on seeing James Brown on last night, but of course I couldn't miss the Alpha show on TruthWorks Network. And uh, we came across, I came across a piece in the Huffington Post, on um, Huffington Post Black Voices, by Gregory Allen Howard. And it is entitled, The Whitewashing of James Brown. And let me go through it for you for a few minutes. What he says is that, quote, this is the Donald Sterling message. Don't bring them to the game. They are over 50 black iconic biopics and black-themed movies in development in Hollywood, including multiple Richard Pryor projects, five Martin Luther King projects, multiple Marvin Gaye projects and civil rights projects, and only one or two have an African-American writer. Our entire history has been given over to white writers. He writes, there are several meetings, eight white men and two white women. Was this a meeting of the Mormon Glee Club? the new white citizens council, perhaps a Klan meeting. No, 
That meeting was the creative team for the new James Brown movie, Get On Up. Welcome to post-racial Hollywood, where if you host a fundraiser for Barack Obama, you're freed of the burden of hiring black writers, and where a rich white producer can jokingly declare, I'm black. This Hollywood apartheid against the African-American writer could be understood if the writers being hired were of such quality as to be beyond reproach artistically. With rare exception, that is not the case. Sift through the morass and you'll find a group of hacks, insiders, and drinking buddies. The executives are trading our icons around like baseball cards. How do these insiders, pals of the executives, become experts on black culture overnight? Wikipedia. In case you didn't know, the entire black experience is on Wikipedia. Here is a typical day in Hollywood. Agent calls a writer, tells him he got him an interview for this black guy who was really important. The writer says, cool, goes to the wiki page, memorizes them, takes the meeting, and wings his knowledge of the black icon. That's it. He gets the job. And yet... Where did producer Brian Grazer hire to embody this blackest of black men? Three white writers, two of them from England, then more producers were added, all white, and a white director who has said that he sees this as a movie about singing and dancing. Bingo! Now we're ready to make a black movie. It doesn't matter a bit that one of the producers is a famous rock star who played with Brown a few times and lifted some of his moves. James Brown belongs to us, Alan writes, the black masses. And for us to be excluded from the creative team that made this movie is an obscenity. I'm aware that Spike Lee was involved briefly, but the finished product looks like a Mitt Romney family reunion. Now, does that make you want to go say, get on up? <laughs> but you, you, we have put our lenses to these kinds of issues. It is the same way, and I, you know, here I go, c- c- connecting all those little green dots. It's the same way that we redefine housing discrimination, that we redefine our own culture. And I think that all of you would agree that James Brown is part of a number of cultural eras in our history. The blues era in the late 40s and early 50s that he participated in, the funk era, the um, black power movement era, and the hip-hop and rap era. There is not one hip-hop artist to speak of, not the ones who say they're going to the studio, and that means that they're going and playing with the tape recorder. Um, So here we have once again 
one of our musical giants being redefined by people who do not understand that he is a cultural icon. And going out tonight, we're going to be going out early. I put together a montage for you to understand the cultural importance of James Brown. I mean, that's not to say that he made me, he he turned me into a dance machine. I was one of those people um, who hit the who hit the party and never stopped dancing on Friday night or Saturday night. Even as an adult, um, a young adult, um, even now. I mean, my my two year old grandson. I was teaching him how to do the James Brown, and I had Imani on the floor laughing because I was showing her my best um, James Brown moves uh, this afternoon. I still got it. I don't know about you, but I still got it. And James Brown is an important cultural icon. He's an important story in our history. And to have people who do not value the cultural importance of James Brown is we allow that to happen. We allow that to happen. And I want you to stay with us if you'd like to, if you've been to the movie or you plan on going to the movie, give us a call at 347-838-9852. Another thing that I wanted to do, that I'm going to do tonight is to talk about one of my greatest black influences, and that is the bard, James Baldwin. Today would have been his 90th birthday, and we're going to celebrate it here at Our Common Ground. days is one of them. When you wonder what your role is in this country and what your future is in it. From my point of view, no label, no slogan, no party, and no um, skin color, and indeed no religion, is more important than the human being. Now, when you were starting out as a writer, you were black, impoverished, homosexual. You must have said to yourself, gee, how disadvantaged can I get? Well, no, I thought I hit the jackpot. Oh, great. (laughs) (laughs) It was so outrageous, you could not go any further, you know. So you had to find a way to use it. My father came from New Orleans, my mother came from Maryland, 
If they had waited, you know, two more seconds, I might have been born in the south. The first house I remember was on Park Avenue. Which is not the American Park Avenue. Or maybe it is the American Park Avenue. Uptown Park Avenue. Uptown Park Avenue, where the railroad tracks are. We used to play on the roof. And, um, I can't call it an alley, but, uh, near the river. It was a kind of dump, garbage dump. So that was the first, those were the first things I remember. I remember my father had trouble keeping us alive. There were nine of us. And, um, I was the oldest, so I took care of the kids. And, um, dealt with daddy. Might understand much better now. Part of his problem was he couldn't feed his kids. But I was a kid, and I didn't know that. And, um, he was very religious, very rigid. In fact, in a word, he wanted power. He wanted Negroes to do, in effect, what he imagined white people did. That is to have, to own the houses, to own U.S. steel. And this is what, uh, in effect, killed him. Because there was something in him which could not bend. He could only be broken. You think your pain and your heartbreak are unprecedented in the history of the world. But then you read. It was books that taught me that the things that tormented me the most were the very things that connected me with all the people who were alive or had ever been alive. I went to the 136th Street Library at least three or four times a week. And I read everything there. I mean, every single book in that library. In some blind and instinctive way, I knew that what was happening in those books was also happening all around me. And I was trying to make a connection between the books and the life I saw and the life I lived. And we wish that we could have more James Baldwins in our life. 90 years old. Many of you will not believe that James Baldwin never graduated from college. It's been great to be with you tonight. We go out with uh, the cultural icon, James Brown, as you make your choices about whether or not you're going to go see Get On Up. But we have to recognize that we must frame our lives and treasure that which has formed it. I want to say, and I did say earlier, but I was on mute, that forgiveness is not about the past. Forgiveness is about the future. I'm Janice Graham. Every Saturday night here at Our Common Ground, I'll be listening for you. Thank you for being with us. Thanks to Alpha and Brother Brock for your calls and all the people who are on the boards listening on your smart device and those in our chat room. Don't forget, speak truth to power, but also ourselves. Fellas, I'm ready to do my thing. Can I count it off? One, two, three, four. Get up. Get up. Get up.
If you love music that speaks to your soul, James Brown was doing it. His music never spoke to an age. His music spoke to a spirit, the spirit to be free. Every record you've got in your collection, every download you've got, is influenced by James Brown. I don't care about your past. What exactly do you call your style of music? I call it James Brown music. But it's so far ahead of its time. Ladies and gentlemen, James Brown! Baby, 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 baby. James Brown was the first dance music. When I first saw James Brown, I copied his moves straight away. I couldn't really do them. I had to do my versions. So nice! So nice! I got you! I'd say I've got a mark on my back where I never knew there was one. They fixed it where I couldn't see it myself. I was marked in many different ways, with names, for example, and each one has a different story behind it. As a kid growing up in a whorehouse, I was called Little Junior. As a teenager in prison, they called me Music Box. On the road in the 50s, I was Mr. Dynamite, the hardest working man in show business. James Brown went in there and had the first sense of street credibility because he took it to the streets and took it to the ghettos and the black community first. In the 60s, when I said, die on your feet, don't live on your knees, I became soul brother number one. He not only had the number one record, he had changed the whole cultural paradigm of black America. He wasn't a hot artist, he was a way of life. Then they called me the godfather of soul. He could be a tyrant, he could be generous. He could be extremely patient and tolerant, and he could be demanding beyond reason. And they called me his bad self when the IRS and the police came down on me. They make me feel so good, I want them. Scream! In the 80s and 90s, I was known as the minister of the new super heavy funk to a new generation of hip hoppers and rappers. In the beginning, you know, was the heavens and the earth, you know? And there was James Brown right there, you know what I mean? With a big E on his forehead for entertainment. Can I scream? Let me scream! Let me scream! He deserved every title that was placed upon him from Soul Brother Number One to the King of Soul, the Minister of Super Heavy Heavy Funk, and a Godfather of Soul. I've been called many names in my time. 
But my legal name, the one I'm known by today, is James Brown. became a, a true proponent of the Jane Brown theory of music, which is sort of non-theoretical. It's whatever it is that makes your body move. Get up, get up, get up, get up, get up. 
title that was placed upon it from Soul Brother Number One to the King of Soul. And a lot of people don't know the reason why um, when he became the Godfather of Soul. Because, you know, when you're the king, you don't need to be the Godfather. But that was when he did a movie, Black Caesar, you know, which dealt with the, the, the black mafia up in Harlem. And that's when he took on the title, The Godfather of Soul. kid in the hood can't tell you that they haven't been influenced by like James Brown if you're a performer um, James Brown is the ultimate performer the voice of James Brown is the ultimate voice James Brown is not only an icon but an idol James Brown c- came from prison he made something of himself you know and I don't know nobody who don't respect him you know the architect from gospel to soul from soul to funk from funk to hip-hop and there's only one thread that goes from the little church in Bonwell South Carolina to the hip-hop concert in the garden that thread is James Brown where I grew up there was no way out so you had to make a way mine was to create James Brown people say I have a big ego But I had to have an ego to make anything of myself in the first place. I had to have an ego to stay out there and continue working no matter what. And I have to have one now to say, yes, I'm James Brown, and it's still happening for me. I want to be free. I want to be able to go to serve the Lord, not work six days a week, and on Sunday I got to rest because I'm so beat. Yeah, I got an ego. My ego is for, for being free. Yeah. Well, I like it. Well, I like 
Ryan here and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.